Michal, daughter of the first king of Israel, wife of the second. At first glance, she sounds like a stock character out of a fairy tale. The princess, whose only role in the story is sadly to be given away as a prize for the noble knight who killed the enemies of the king. Indeed, the author or authors of the scrolls of Samuel seems to go out of their way to minimize Michal's presence in the story. She's the second daughter offered in marriage to David, the first one being married away to a foreigner without much explanation. And David, at the first, turns down the offer of marriage to her until he's offered a chance to prove himself in battle rather than pay a bride price for her. But throughout the text, we get glimpses of a strong, feisty woman who stands up for herself and her love even when the consequences are terrible. Michal's story takes place mainly in the background of 1st and 2nd Samuel. We have to jump around between the stories that the author wants us to focus on more in order to see her at all. As we go through the sermon time today, forgive me for talking about characters other than Michal, because that's where the Bible story leads us. But we will get to do our best to see who she really is, even in this background place that the stories have put her in. In the first sentence to mention Michal in the Bible, we learn two very important things. One, that she's Saul's youngest and younger daughter. And two, that she loves David. That we are told that she loves David is critically important. This verse is the only one in all of the Hebrew Bible where we learn of a woman's love for a man directly stated. The text is very clear, too, that this is love and not lust. It is the love word that carries through, ahava. Now, her father Saul learns of her affection for David and promptly decides to use it to his own advantage. He promises David that, for a price, he can marry Michal and become Saul's son-in-law. Now, so far, this is a pretty standard transaction in the ancient world. The unfortunate practice of selling a daughter's hand in marriage went, supposedly, alongside the honor of any children of the marriage belonging to the mother's line, at least in Israel. Marrying the king's daughter, then, implied that your children would be in the royal line, the recently established royal line, it's to be sure, but nevertheless, your children would be royal David, though, demurs at marrying Michal, perhaps fearing how much Saul would ask for a bride price, perhaps thinking of how Samuel had anointed him to be the next king of Israel. He doesn't need Saul's approval or to be in the royal line. He's got this in the bag. But when Saul tells David that what he wants as a bride price is not wealth, tawdry gold and silver, but rather a rather grisly proof that David has killed a hundred Philistine men, David perks up. He loves to go to battle. Saul, of course, expects David to die in the pursuit of killing a hundred enemy soldiers. Working against Michal's hope to marry the man she loves. 
Michal's love for David is used against her and against the one she loves. Saul plans to use rather than to celebrate. Yet, unexpectedly for everyone, except perhaps those of us reading the Bible that know what comes next, David not only survives, but in several versions of the story, returns early after having killed twice as many Philistine men as requested. Though our text said 100, the same number, some of the texts in Hebrew say 200 men were how many David killed. Michal and David are married, and David does indeed become the king's son-in-law. But being near to King Saul is dangerous to your health. He grows increasingly paranoid and is possessed by an evil spirit and tries to kill David with a spear. Several times tries to kill David with a spear. In one of these instances, David flees back home, where he presumably tells Michal what happened, And Michal tells him that he's not safe even in their house, that she has heard rumors that Saul is going to kill him even in the house. It's not clear how long they've been married at this point, but it is clear that her love for him is still very strong. She tells him to flee out the window of the house, presumably down a rope, like the spies fled from Jericho. He runs away. And then, despite her love for him, makes no move to bring her along with. Now, though, we finally get to see Michal in action. What will she do with the life of the man she loves endangered by her own father? Thinking quickly, she gathers some supplies together, goatskins and some old clothes of David's. She dresses up a clay or wooden statue in these items and places them in bed so that it looks like David is either sick or sleeping in bed. Now, if nothing else, this shows that the practice of putting pillows under the covers to trick your parents, that is an ancient practice. Though I should say, instead of a pillow, Michal uses this statue, a teraphim, to use the Hebrew word. What is David doing with a life-size statue, an idol or household god in his house? Well, it turns out that it wouldn't be until the rule of King Josiah, long in the future from this point, that these household idols would be banned and destroyed. At this point, there's some evidence that they were used for determining the will of God through divination and may even have represented the legacy of the family that this was when you retired, not that they had such an idea, you would put your wealth into making an idol like this, and then that idol would be available to your children as part of their uh, inheritance that they could melt down in times of need. Interesting uh, connection through. But more than that, this household idol also links Michal's story to Rachel's story, who stole her father's teraphim when she, Jacob, and Leah all fled Laban's home. In Rachel's case, the teraphim may have represented the right to claim Laban's property on his death, a tricky way to ensure inheritance. Michal here uses the teraphim to ensure her inheritance in a different way. She keeps her beloved David alive by tricking her father. Callbacks to the stories in the Bible, trickery, smart women ensuring their inheritance. 
Now, in this case, her inheritance is her well-being and the well-being of David. I'd love to be able to say that that's the end of the story, that Michal saved David by her actions, that Saul eventually relented and David became king, as was the normal and everyday way of things, happily ever after, as the fairy tales would have you believe. But that's not what happens. The Bible goes to some lengths to tell us that this isn't the end of Michal and David's story. Instead, though David is fleeing for his life, he hasn't gone far, and he seeks out Jonathan, Michal's brother, and David's sworn friend. After skulking around for several days, David convinces Jonathan to get Saul to admit that he's actually trying to kill David, uh, as a regular practice, and not just when he's going crazy, when a spirit inhabits him. And Jonathan sees David flee into exile after a tearful goodbye, where they embrace, and David runs off. But Michal is left behind with a rapidly maddening Saul, until Saul declare, uh, decides that her marriage to David isn't any good, and marries her off again, selling her again for another bride price to a man named Palti. She fades into the background again, since the author would rather focus on David and everything he's going through, this rebel leader in the Israelite civil war. He's named king of the southern kingdom of Judah, while the northern kingdom of Israel falls to Saul's second in command after Saul dies. That man arranges a peace conference with David who demands the return of Michal to him since he had purchased her for the death of a hundred Philistines and presumably hopes that with her at his side, he will be perceived as the legitimate king not only of Judah but of Israel as well. She is brought to David with her new husband, though they've been married for many years at this point, uh, her new husband, Palti, weeping as he walked behind her all the way. During the Civil War, it should be noted, David also married again to Abigail. But her story is one that should wait for another day. We're not told whether Michal wants to return to David at this point, just that David wanted her back, and so she was given back to him. For her next actions, we have to again wait several chapters and probably years within the story as well. So let's fast forward again. David is now king over all of Israel, Israel and Judah both, and wants to move the capital to Jerusalem, symbolically uniting the two kingdoms in one city. Jerusalem has a major advantage as a capital. It's nestled into the mountains, provides a great defensive location against siege and invasion. To make Jerusalem even greater, David plans to bring the Ark of the Covenant there. There's been a lot of time that the Ark has been held by a family of priests since no one wanted it. It has a bad habit of seeming to kill people at random uh, for reasons that seem obscure or vague to us. In fact, the first time David tried to bring it into the city, he had throngs of people dancing, singing before it, and yet when the high priest stumbled and put out a hand on the ark to stabilize himself, it killed him. And they brought the ark back to where it had been and waited a little bit to see if anything would go wrong again. This is 
maybe not a good time to move the ark. What happened? We'll try to figure this out. So this is now the second time bringing the ark into the city, and David is the only one dancing this time. He has decided to give that responsibility to himself alone. He's throwing himself wildly around, dancing and leaping, showing his joy in God, and in finally achieving his goal of bringing the ark into the city. Yet high above this leaping and dancing about, Michal appears in a window looking down. And here the text tells us she despised him in her heart. When David comes home, Michal meets him with words dripping with sarcasm. How did Israel's king honor himself today? By exposing himself in plain view of the female servants of his subjects like any indecent person would. Whew, there's a lot going on in that. It seems that all of his vigorous dancing caused him to flash the clouds, and Michal is not very happy about this. To her, the reputation of the king is important. After all, she saw how her father's descent into madness had terrible effects on the kingdom. Maybe she's afraid that David is now beginning a similar downward spiral into madness. Now, most of the time, this is the only vision of Michal we see. The lectionary focuses in on this one, the Michal who despises David in her heart, and we miss the rest of her story. But given her whole story, the truth behind these words comes out. Michal loved David, and she was hurt by David. Like so many people, she lashes out at him, knowing him to be Uh, knowing him better than most other people could. She also knows how the power of kingship corrupts and taints even those with the best of hearts. And she knows that better than most people. Despite everything, she is still willing to stand up to David, still willing to point out his shadows, seeing them even before others do, warning him, of problems down the line. And when David responds, it is also with a defensiveness that rings through the years. Listen to his words again, but this time, imagine yourself in Michal's place. I was celebrating before the Lord, who chose me over your father and his entire family, and I will celebrate before the Lord again. I may humiliate myself even more, and I may be humbled in my own eyes but I will be honored by the female servants you are talking about. This is absolutely crushing. Not only does David not apologize, he doubles down. And given what we know of what comes later, the story of Bathsheba, his discussion of honored by female servants has something of a negative ring to it, a foreshadowing of things to come. It also has overtones of disregard for Michal and the warning she's trying to offer. Here, then, we have an example of what not to do in a discussion with your spouse. Very quickly, first, they have the discussion in public rather than in private. Remember, she ran out of the house to meet him, and they're having this discussion in the front of the house. Next, rather than speak truth in love, they focus on hurting each other by their words. Last, there is no apology to each other, 
And instead of diffusing the tension of their situation, the issue becomes bigger than it was before. Michal's story is a tragic one, but it is one that deserves to be told and known in its fullest extent. Not every Bible story has a good ending for its people, but we can still see God at work through Michal, even in the darkness. Though she is torn again and again from what she knows and what she plans, she remains strong in herself through God's accompanying of her. She tries to save lives and end wars, and even when her heart is broken, she tries to help her love be better. So may we all take strength from this story. Now may God grant you faith, and the Spirit fill you with steadfast love, and Christ guide you to peaceful reconciliation. Amen.